Hi there. Welcome and thank you for listening in. I'm super stoked to have you with me. My name is Philip Hartmann and Being Dad is a show for dads. I meet and speak to unique dads, asking them to impart their wisdom and to share their experiences as dads with us. The reason for being dad is my own story. I became a father five times within 13 months. Yes, five times, 13 months. I was seriously underprepared and I struggled to find inspiring content for myself. By meeting and connecting with these men, I'm trying to learn all there is about being a dad. We cover heart-to-heart topics between two dads and our aim is to inspire other fathers. And with this, hopefully we can make a positive impact on families around the world. So I've learned over the course of time that for me to be my best self and be my best parent, that I have to have self-compassion and kindness around my parenting skills because there's no such thing as being a perfect parent. And when I show up as my authentic self and I'm fully present for my family, even when I fall down and I make mistakes, I learn from those mistakes My family forgives me, and I end up forgiving myself, allowing me to be the best dad I can be. Todd Palmer is a super interesting dad. He became a single parent at the age of 24, in a time where custody for fathers was given around 1% of the time. He filed for personal bankruptcy at 25, as he had spent all his money during the custody court case, and then he started his business at 28. He went from struggling entrepreneur three months away from bankruptcy and about 600,000 in debt to serious imposter syndrome to then making the Inc. 5000 as one of America's fastest growing companies six times. That's amazing. During that time, he sacrificed all his social activities to solely focus on raising his son and the business. Fast forward to today, in his 50s, he now finds himself in a new relationship and in a new role of being a stepfather, this time to a 10-year-old girl. So he's knee-deep in it again, and this time with more experience. Todd opens up about his journey as a dad and as a stepdad, his struggles and wins, male bonding between father and son, losing his son emotionally for a few years they actually disconnected, and then they managed to reconnect. He shares his own experiences he faced around divorce, bringing up a child on his own, and how he was able to overcome his imposter syndrome. We talk about his current situation and how himself and his son dealt with their situation with an absent mother who chose not to partake as a parent. The session is fun and it's meaningful on many levels. Todd's shares are powerful and it's interesting to hear him opening up as a father and as a businessman. The most powerful takeaways for me as a dad were there's no perfection in parenting and therefore failure doesn't exist if we allow failure to be a learning opportunity. Have self-compassion and kindness for yourself. I think that's a big one. Show up and be fully present. Have tenacity and resilience, memories over money and set aside self-care time every day. All right. If you like the show, please do share it. Your shares actually do help a lot. And please do leave a review. It really helps for other people to find the show. Enjoy it. Here's Todd Palmer. Thank you. Todd, I'm super stoked to have you with me today. Thank you very much for being on the show. Oh, Philip, thank you so much for inviting me. We've actually found each other through Facebook, funny enough. And so when we spoke the last time, I know that you were a single dad, which I found really, really interesting and I want to hear about. 
and also you're an entrepreneur. Can you do a quick intro about yourself and then we dive into you and your experiences as a dad? For sure. So you know, to start from the beginning, um, I got custody of my son when he was two years old and I was 24 years old in Detroit, Michigan, here in the United States. Um, I started my business four years later and the journey of single parenting combined with taking a business from start to to almost crashing to pulling it out of the depths has been a crazy ride. It sometimes felt like I was uh, a boy raising a baby and then I was a, uh, a man raising a boy while raising and growing a business. So there was a lot of overlap and complexity in how I showed up both as an entrepreneur, CEO, and how I showed up as a father. And sometimes the overlap was great. And sometimes the overlap was quite messy. And how did you do it? Because I mean, I, I mean, we went straight in. I love that. <laughs> I mean, how, how like I, I struggle with time a lot. And I know you scaled your business um, quite significantly. And before, like you mentioned earlier, you crashed it. How did you, or almost crashed it, how did you manage with time? I mean, a two-year-old requires a lot of time. And how did you do that? You know, it really became very much scheduled discipline. So the way it would work, and I started the business really before the internet was popular, and I owned a recruiting company. So I helped people get jobs all through Metro Detroit. So I would get up at five in the morning, drop my son off at daycare at six, go exercise at the gym and show up at the office by nine. And then from nine until noon, I would do sales calls. And then from one until four, I would do recruiting calls to get candidates to fill the jobs that I'd located in the morning. And then at night, I would pick him up. My goal with him was to be the, have him be the first kid dropped off at daycare and the first kid picked up from daycare. More often than not, I was able to make that happen. So I got very disciplined on my time from about 4.30 until 8 o'clock was his time. So I solely focused on him. We would make dinner. We would do our chores. We would have our fun. He would do his schoolwork, whatever was required. And then he would go to bed at 8. And then from 8 until midnight, I would go back to work doing my computer work, doing my client invoicing, and trying to decompress from the day. So what that meant for me was I sacrificed and cut out of my life pretty much all social activities. I wasn't mm -hmm. dating. Um, I was basically you know, uh, raising a son and being married to my business. That was my life for several years until the business kind of grew and scaled. And then I was able to hire people and try and have a little bit semblance of a social life. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just for context, how old is he now? How old are you now? He was yeah, two he, when you got custody. He will be You were 24 when you started. He will be 29 this year. He just earned his yeah. uh, CPA. He's an accountant. Now he's a CPA. So I'm super proud of all of his hard work and effort. Um, and I'm going to be 52 this year. Wow. <laughs> I hope you're dating by yes, now. <laughs> yeah. Well, so then I'm, I'm now do, doing it all over again. My girlfriend has a 10-year-old daughter that we are raising together. Okay. Her, her, her daughter yeah. came from a previous relationship. So, so just when I thought I was out of the the parental role, I'm now knee deep in it with a young lady who's gonna who's who's just an absolute joy, but also is starting to hit the uh, teenage hormone years. So, you know, as entrepreneurs, we think we can climb mountains and conquer uh, 
conquer the holy grail of, of challenges. And so for whatever reason in my 50s, I decided, why not do it again? <laughs> uh. So you actually you have quite an interesting setup as a, as a family man and dad then. Because you were a single dad, I think you told me the chances or rather the ratio of men getting custody in your state were like, what, 0.1% or something crazy? Yeah. How, how so I, was was, I got custody in 1993 in Detroit, Michigan. And at the time, in the county we lived in, the chances of getting custody yeah. as a man was about 1%. And they used to they used to call us the 1% club, those of, one, those of us who'd gotten it. And the ironic thing is like with it being an entrepreneur, I mean, entrepreneurship has a you know, 80 plus failure rate. And you know, if, you tell me yeah. the, if, you told, if they told me the odds of getting 1% custody, I, you know, in all honesty with you and your audience, I may not have fought the fought as, fight as hard as I did. I mean, the fight was $70,000. At 24 years old, I filed for personal bankruptcy because I, I'd blown through all my money and all my credit and all my goodwill. Um, but I really felt deep down in my heart that I was the better parent and that, you know, I grew up without a dad. My dad passed away when I was five. So my, my motivation was to not have my child suffer like I suffered with the loss of his father. Unfortunately, his mother mm -hmm. chose not to participate in his life. And that created a lot of hardship for him and a lot of pain for him because any child who doesn't have an attachment to one of their parents is going to feel a sense of abandonment. And my son went through that. When did he go through that? That's very interesting for me because I've adopted two kids. You know, he really went through that. He, he had um, once in a while visitation with his mom from, from essentially the age of two to the age of 11. And then at the age of 11, she chose not to participate in his life anymore. And He was just devastated. He couldn't understand it. It created a lot of pain for him. And so when he turned 18 and he was a, a legal adult, he went looking for his mom and came to me and said, you know, I want to go talk to my mom. I want to find my mom. Do you know where she's at? I said, yeah, here's her phone number. Here's her address. I go, you, you need to understand she's choosing not to participate. I don't know what you're going to find. And what I've learned, you know, we, we had to go th through some, some difficult times after he found his mom and she really wanted, she gave him a lot of misinformation. And what I discovered through the working with counselors was that the children will often idealize the parent they don't have a relationship with and putting them on, very much on a pedestal. And when they meet them, the pain of that interaction can just be devastating. And I put my son into about a three-year tailspin where he just wasn't himself. He didn't want to have a relationship with me. He took his anger out on me, which again, working with the psychologist, I learned kids will often take their anger out on the most stable parent because they can't. Well, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> I hope, I hope you're, you, have to, you can avoid that. That's not a fun journey. So, so, so tell me how, I mean, you're in a situation now where you're pretty much adopting a, another child and you potentially, there's a similar, um, well, there are this, the same issues, right? With one parent more present than the other, maybe, I don't know. Can you share um, experiences and then maybe learnings from such a situation? No, it, Because it, you will not go into that situation the same right. way. Well, right? And it's a concern. It's a fear. It's an internal fear that I have. Um, and the right now, the way we're handling it is she, you know, her, her dad is still alive. He still once in a while participates in her life. Um, 
But before I even met this young lady, her mom was very clear with her that your dad, for a lot of different reasons, is incapable of parenting you. He had a severe workers' comp injury. He's uh, he's going to be on painkillers for the rest of his life, and those painkillers alter his brain chemistry, and he just is not all there anymore. Unfortunately for him and for her. So, getting into the relationship, I was nervous that I would be able to participate in a way that would be of best service to to the girl. Her name is Etta, and I wanted Etta to know that I, you know I'm I'm here for her, but I can't replace her her dad but I could be a father figure that's the route I've chosen to take her mom's been very supportive of that and ultimately what I've learned is if I don't force myself onto Etta in a way of you know t- you know overly um, overly controlling or overly parenting what I've discovered is she's gonna make me who she needs me to be in her life and right now I'm a, I'm a father figure and a mentor have you listened to maybe um, the podcast I did with Warren Farrell? He's got a, wrote a book called The Boy Crisis. I will have to check that out. I've not listened to that. Yeah. But what you know, what I have done on a proactive basis is, you know, as I've transitioned out of my my recruiting business and now I'm doing speaking and coaching around the globe, is I've had a, re- a great opportunity to meet a lot of other great speakers. And one speaker I met is a, a guy named Dr. Daniel Friedland out of San Diego, California. And I've engaged his services to help me as a coach uh, because his his background is neuroscience, and he's you know a, a medical doctor who studies the brain. And I use him quite a bit to help me create my life by design. And ha- part of my life by design would be you know Etta and her mother. And he gives me a lot of really good practical advice on how to best be the what Etta needs to show up as my authentic self, and so that we are able to form our own relationship almost you know while with her mother but also independent of her mother and some of the advice he's given me has just been super powerful you know it's it really was eye opening for me because my original thought process was you know how do i go down the path of being a good parent figure for this child how do I figure out what she wants? And he reversed engineered and he said, what you have to do is you have to be yourself. You have to show up in a way that requires you to be soft and kind. And it's really inside out work. I think a lot of times as entrepreneurs, we, we attack problems and we see a problem on the exterior. And when in the reality is if we show up on the interior differently, we get a different reaction from our audience. That is no different. I find that a lot of the work I do with her to help her be the her best self is by approaching everything with massive curiosity. So instead of assuming I know what she's going through or assuming I know her feelings around friends or school or her mom, I ask her a lot of questions and I talk her through what she's feeling and what she's experiencing. And I'm super consistent. So the, I think the two biggest takeaways I got from Danny was approach everything with massive curiosity and always be consistent with her. That that consistency will calm her anxiety, will calm her brain so that she'll be able to trust you. And it really comes down to trust. It's a lot of, uh, it's quite similar. Well, if, at least the first um, part, massive curiosity is kind of Shoshin mind, right? The beginner's mind. Right. If you're open to 
to the idea that you are not a professional in everything and you're a beginner, even if you're maybe professional in the topic and well versed, you'll learn much more because if you if you're professional, there's nothing to learn, right? So that mindset itself is quite valuable, really. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Okay. What else can you share as a single dad with us, with all the dads out there? Um, for me, it was, especially as an, a dad entrepreneur, it was creating a, um, an integrated life because I figured, I realized early on that work-life balance didn't exist. It was an impossibility. <laughs> <laughs> What is work life yeah, balance? It, it, it's it's like <laughs> unicorns and, and uh, dragons. I've never seen one of those either, except for in the movies. So, um, yeah. it, and it was, the, I guess you know, going back to the honesty thing and the trust thing. You know, I when my business was doing poorly, I was honest with my son. And, you know, I said, "Listen, <clears throat> the business is the business is struggling. This is going to potentially impact our household." Um, I didn't share the goriest of details. I said, "But you know what." We're we're gonna we're gonna get through this together, and my job was to lead us out of those dark days, and you know just to kind of put the put it in a nutshell, you know, ten years into my business, I was six hundred thousand dollars in debt. I was two months away from running out of all of my cash, including losing my house that we lived in to the bank. Um, I hired a coach with his help. I got some financial literacy around my things, but I also realized I had a toxic and dysfunctional culture within my organization. So I walked in and fired everybody because my family was more important than the jobs of these people because they weren't doing their job and I wasn't doing my job as a leader. With the coach, I reframed my mindset, pulled the business out of that, paid off all $600,000 in debt and made the Inc. 5000 here in the United States as one of the fastest growing companies six times. And my son was with me nearly every step of that journey. And so he saw the lows and he saw the highs I think it's partially why he got into accounting because it's such an even thought processed occupation. But the ironic part is he, <laughs> he announced a couple of weeks ago that he wants to start his own accounting firm. He wants to do a roll up. And could I help him figure out how to buy six or seven, put them all together into one big firm so he can create his own life by design because he wants to get married and start a family. I just couldn't believe how full circle we had come. And did you... When you said you put it all together and you rebuilt it, you paid the debt, did you hire new people the next day or did you just do it yourself? Or how did no, you do that? Because like firing everybody. It took a while. I, I probably worked for three or four months by myself, um, mm -hmm. but it got the cash position upright. And what I did is I used to hire everybody with experience. So I'm in the recruiting space. If you were an HR person or you had previous recruiting space, you were an attractive candidate for me. And what I realized was being a recruiter ha requires a lot, of, a lot of traits, but it doesn't typically in the beginning require a lot of skills. So it requires tenacity. It requires the ability to have resiliency and then the ability to stick through problems and to be able to talk to people. So I created a process we called hire for DNA, not for resume. And so I started hiring people from other sectors of the world. I hired people from the restaurant retail space. I hired people from the medical space. And I taught them how to be a good recruiter because I found out they were really good people versus the people I'd hired before who maybe were decent recruiters, but maybe our core values were out of alignment, which rubbed everything the wrong way. So for me, you know, and, and I shared that with my son during the process because he was dating and he was, you know, going out with, going out with girls and having friends and challenges. And he said, well, you know, take a look at the, the quality of the human being. Make sure your core values are in alignment. I'm doing that within the business now. You know, when I hired... 
back here. I hired Jeremy. See how I did that. And maybe there's something in it for you for you to take away. So as you're going out into the world and making friends and having your first jobs, maybe there's something that you can take with you. And sure enough, he's like, you know, it's so important for me to be around really good people versus really cool people or really pretty people or really successful people. Because just because you're successful to the outside world doesn't make you a good person on the inside. He goes, I'd rather hang out with good people. So kind of proud that he was able to figure that out for himself. On that, I mean, I know this from the, from the book I mentioned, The Boy Crisis, but it's specifically around um, absent fathers. And you can work yourself into absence just as well. It doesn't always have to be divorce or death or prison. Uh, absent fathers and their sons. But from your experience, do you think your son has, uh, or has there been an impact on how your son has picked his partners due to an absent mother? Oh, and how was that impact, if so? You know, I, I've thought a lot about that, and I think there has been some choices in his past of people he picked who were um, very much looking to fill that emptiness within. I think that the children and adults, I mean, I, I still, I, when I, I have a coaching client right now who is rocking his business out. It's going so well and his leadership team is going in the right direction. He's making more money than he's ever made before and yet he's still not not satisfied. We had a deep conversation one day and it came out that you know I'm just trying to prove to my father that I'm worthwhile. I said, "Well, tell mm -hmm. me more about that." And he got into some of the things his dad said to him when he was a kid. He said, "Listen, as your coach, I'm happy to, let's schedule a call with your dad and the three of us can get out of there and I can externally validate your success, not only as a business owner, but as a, as a human being, as a parent, as a husband, all because he's a great guy. He blurts out, he goes, my dad's been dead for 15 years and I'm still trying to make him happy. And it just floored yeah. me. And I worry that, you know, our kids are going to be seeking such external validation from a lot of different sources for the emptiness they feel due to the absentee parent. And I worry about the same thing with my son with some of the choices he's made. What I really applaud him for doing is increasing his self-awareness. He's gotten the help he needs. He's gotten a counselor that is able to work with him. And he's really been able to make a lot of pivots in his life. So now he's positioned himself and healed a lot of those childhood wounds through his work. And I couldn't, I mean, I love the fact that he's got a CPA. I love the fact that he just bought his first house, but I'm so proud of him for taking care of himself and getting the healing and the help he needs. So you know, as parents, we always worry about our kids no matter what age they are. Yeah, and sometimes from what I hear from other dads, it's easy to not see that healing is required. And so it's good if you Especially as a man, often men, it's difficult for men to talk about emotions, right? And so, or men just do it differently, I guess. And so it's good if you embrace that and do get a professional in and go, hey, can you get, give us some help? And, it, you know, there's no shame in that. Well, I think there's such an immense opportunity for any man listening to the podcast today to recognize that if they show up with, I, I call it ATV, authenticity, transparency, and vulnerability in their relationships with their spouses, with their significant others, with their children, that that makes you actually more lovable, more likable, and more relatable than the the typical, you know, when I, when I kind of think of the 1950s dad of, I've got this, I'm stoic, I don't talk, I'm just going to go out and conquer the world and take care of my family and have an emotional distance in my household. Th those are such outdated thought processes. If we approach it with a 
ATV, the authenticity, the transparency, and the vulnerability with our relationships, that's where the real connectedness comes out. And I'm sure, you know, you know, because we we are part of EO and the entrepreneurs organization, we know a lot of people who are are trying to fill their childhood emptiness by chasing the zeros of the dollar success or other things. But once we get over that, you know, the behaviors of boys and realize that there's a behavior of men and that it's the relationships and it's the connectivity and it's the the memories we create are the only thing we can take with us in our final days versus the money. The sooner we arrive at that, the more memories we create and the better lives we're able to create for ourselves and the people we love. It's true. I spoke to that yesterday. Super interesting man. He was homeless uh, from the age of 8 to 14, arrested at 10 the first time. Uh, he then uh, kind of, well, the family made a pivot. Uh, he uh, converted to Islam uh, when he was 14, became a Muslim, uh, renamed himself, and now he's a successful, um, he had a child very early at like 22, if I get it right, or 20. She was 20, he was 19. Sorry. Um, those were the best of his college years when he had that kid because suddenly he had focus. And something really valuable that he said was that we have to be truth-tellers. And it's a lot around around what you've said, you know, this authenticity. I also interpret as telling the truth to your children, you know, and to everybody and just that's what it is. You know, it does, it makes no sense to live, to live, uh, uh, two lives really. Oh, and, and a lot of people do. And it's, it's really, it's very, it erodes, I think the, the fabric of the family connections with the spouse and the significant others with the children. And, you know, I think a lot of the times we end up doing that through our internal dialogue and our internal thought processes around things like imposter syndrome, where, you know, I'm not good enough. I'll never be good enough. Um, you know, I, I go to these family, I go to these school functions, and all the other dads have their act together, and I'm a mess. And the stories we tell ourselves when it's not true, and the more we, the quicker we can get into recognizing our limitations and do our internal work, the better we show up as dads. Can you talk about imposter uh, syndrome? We talked about it the last time. Well, you know, and it's something I really suffered from quite a bit when my business was going into into the toilet. I, you know, I felt, you know, when I would go to an EO event, everybody. Everybody's got their act together and I'm a failure. Um, I would go to events where I was the only dad. And instead of feeling proud that I was the only dad with around surrounded by all the other moms, I'm thinking, oh, you know, they 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 their house is cleaner than mine. You know, the they 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 make better dinners than I do. And and I would just talk down to myself in such a destructive way. And it and it, you know, it was almost like the the analogy I give is my imposter syndrome, you know, my imposter syndrome and I were are driving in a car. And when I was going through my worst times, the imposter syndrome was in the driver's seat and I was in the passenger seat. As I healed, as I got more self-awareness and I improved internally, we switched seats. I have clients who say to me all the time, oh, if I work with you, all my problems will be solved and my imposter syndrome will go away. I said, well, no, it really doesn't go away. Because at one point, the imposter syndrome, like the little voices in our head, did serve us well around safety, around care. And now they're going to sit in the passenger seat and they may talk to us and they may give us advice, but we can choose now because we've taken control internally that we don't have to listen to it anymore. And once I was able to make that shift, um, I, I'm, I'm kind of a, re a recovering imposter syndrome person, but I st it still creeps in and the voices still chime in, but they don't drive the car anymore. 
And how were you able to make the shift? Oh, over several, several years, it was painful. Um, so I got help. I, I, I hired a coach. I had to you know, take off my masks. I had to get real. I had to, to share you know, the state of my business, the state of my mindset, um, the state of my relationships, and lay it all out on the line and say, you know, this is no longer working for me. This, these masks don't serve me anymore. These thought processes are destructive, not constructive, and it's damaging everything that's important to me, including my relationship with myself. I found that as dads, especially as dad entrepreneurs, you know, we're, we're kind of the well our family draws water from. And if my well is empty, there's nothing for my family, there's nothing for my employees, there's nothing for my customers, and I have to take I have to have a set aside a certain amount of self-care time every day or every week. And over the course of time, I've recognized that you know I need to exercise every day. I need to eat right every day. I need to laugh and have fun as much as possible. And I need to be able to have real, genuine, authentic conversations like we're having today with as many people as possible because that fills my bucket. Getting to know somebody below a surface level is super enjoyable for me. It's one of the things that I love about the coaching relationships I have. I'm helping these entrepreneurs, you know, have breakthroughs and aha moments or when, you know, I gave a speech in Toronto, Canada to a mixed audience and I had a nine-year-old boy come up and tell me I helped change his life because I helped him reframe his thoughts around the, the word failure. And just those real conversations fill my bucket. So in turn, when I come home, and there's chaos or there's homework, I've got a lot more to give other people. So it's a real mixed combination that's worked well for me. Yeah, that's well said. That's well said. Hey, Todd, is there anything else that you want to discuss that's important that we haven't covered yet? Because I've been kind of leading the conversation, but is there stuff that, that you have? You know, I think what I, if I could share with your audience that um, there, there's no perfection in parenting. And there's no perfection in entrepreneurship. <laughs> it's, I'm it, glad. It's, it, but I always thought you had to be perfect. I thought you had to get it right the first time, uh-huh. and my, so I prep, put that pressure on my son. I was the dad who he'd, he'd get, you know, six grades, five A's and one B, and I wouldn't talk to him about his five A's. I made the mistake of just hammering on that one B because he was really smart, and I, you know, he, you know, he would make mistakes, and I would make mistakes, and I would beat myself up, and I would be critical of him at times. What I've really come to realize is that failure doesn't exist. If we've tried something and we've done our best and we've learned from it, and now we're doing differently from that experience, then it really, every quote unquote failure is nothing more than a learning opportunity. And to be able to pass it on to my son and hopefully, you know, we, every generation heal or every current generation is going to heal the future generations. Hopefully his kids won't go through some of the challenges that he went through. And that would be an amazing legacy to leave. That's powerful. Can you share a bit about male bonding from father to son? Because I mean, yours must have been quite intense because it was just the two of you. Did you have, did you ritualize bonding? Did you have structures? Do you have concrete ideas and experiences for that? That's a great question. I hadn't thought of that in a long time. So we used to, um, you know, we loved to go to the movies and we would, that would be our thing to do. And then we would go have dinner or we'd have lunch, depending upon when the movie was, and we would just sit and talk. And I, my, I passed on my weird, quirky sense of humor to my kids, so we laugh at the same things. 
Um, so that was part of the bonding <laughs> process, but also part of the bonding process for me was about core values and what do I, you know, what do I think are the right ways to do things? You know, when the business was six hundred thousand dollars in debt, it was recommended to me by an attorney that I file for bankruptcy here in the United States. It wasn't against the law, and it would help free up a lot of the debt. And I couldn't do it, even though it was was you know perfectly within the the guidelines of the law. I couldn't do it because I had to. I kept telling my son that if you make a commitment to people, you we honor our commitments and we see things through to the end and we don't quit and we have to have tenacity and resiliency. And the story I would tell myself is if I were to file bankruptcy, discharge the debt, and essentially I wasn't living up to my to my ultimate commitments. And he, mm-hmm. fast forward, so this he would have been give or take about 10 or 11. Three years ago, when he was 26, we're hiking in the in Machu Picchu in Peru. That was his college graduation gift, and he brought that story up while we were hiking and how much that impacted him. And I had, you know, I had vague memories of it, but I hadn't thought about it in several years. And the fact that on a hike, just him and I, he brings that story up, really told me that you know what, maybe I didn't do such a bad job. Yeah, congratulations. It's very true. I mean. It's difficult sometimes to do what you preach, but ultimately you have to do it because otherwise they know. They totally know. They know if you're being a hypocrite. Well, you're, you're, you're out of alignment. They're not idiots. And your, your core values and your yeah. words are, are disconnected. No different than leading a company. If you have on your, you know, one of your core values as an organization, whether you're an organization or a family, your core value is honesty and integrity. And you've got the, you know, the CEO behaving out of alignment that whether you're the CEO of your business or the CEO of your family, people are going to know that people are going to pick up on that and your credibility will get damaged. So I get from, from you, what you're telling me that you've actually managed to have a relationship past 18 or you said three years tailspin past 21 and you actually have a good relationship with your son now, which is what we all want, right? You no, know, and it, you know, you don't just want to have, yeah, it's, it's been a wild ride. So he graduated high school went to look for his mom, found his mom, didn't go well, and he just disconnected from from everybody. And he took his anger out on me, and he took his anger out on my partner at the time. It really was very unkind to her in a lot of ways um, because he was in such pain uh, in regards to his mother. He moved across the country. We're in, I'm in Detroit, Michigan. He moved out near Los Angeles, California, um, and it was just lost. Just lost, and he would, he, you know, he wouldn't for basically about three years. He wouldn't talk to me. Um, he connected with his, his uncle out there, my brother. They got him enrolled in school, and they stopped, helped him, you know, figure out a couple of things, um, including the healing he needed to do from the pain that he had. So we would do, we would do coaching session, sessions with his therapist, work through some of those issues. And at the same time, I was working on me. So he, we had two simultaneously separated tracks. He was growing as a person and I was growing as a person. Come full circle, we, he, we reconnect. We work out our, our we, we create a lot of clarity around some things in his mind that were ambiguous and begin to heal. So he comes home for his first Christmas and we're sitting at the dinner table and I said, hey, you're graduating from college this summer. You know, uh, I, I'm so proud of you. You should be proud of yourself. What can, what, what would you like? And that's where the idea of going to Peru came from him. He goes, I want to go on vacation, just you and I, and do it once a year. So we've done Peru. We, uh, then the next year we went to Mexico and built, built homes for the homeless. And it gave him an opportunity to have a great appreciation for the world outside of his space. 
And every year we get together for a vacation. Then comes full circle. He announces he's moving back to Michigan. And can he come live at my house while he does house hunting and job hunting? And I said, of course. He lived with me for a year. It was supposed to be a couple of months. Um, and now we, we <laughs> it's crazy. And now we live, yeah, we live about 12 minutes apart and we communicate on text or phone probably four or five times a week. And our new routine, our new habit has become, we get together for just a guy's breakfast, either Saturday or Sunday, pretty much every weekend. That's epic. I went for the first time with my boys for a picnic up the mountain. I mean, they're like, uh, three and a half. So not even they're sorry, they're not even three and a half. They're younger than three and a half. They're three in a few months. And they were like, you know, after two minutes, they were bored. Okay, so I bring out the big pocket knives. I'm like, okay, mommy's not here. Here, pocket knife, you, pocket knife, you, let's cut the food. And that was awesome. And then 10 minutes later, they were bored. But I, it was an amazing bonding experience, really. You know, we could look at the ocean, and oh, there's some birds, you know, we're cutting an apple, and, and we're just spending boys' time. And that's why I asked you specifically around um, r- rituals that you might have for for male bonding because I do think it's a different relationship. Well, and what, what with I, your son, what I found really, really worked well with my son is letting him kind of control the the activity. I'm a I'm a big sports guy. Baseball is my favorite sport. Mm-hmm. I actually still play baseball. I actually, was down in Zambia three years ago playing baseball, and. Um, so baseball is a part of my life. It's part of my identity. My son has never played an inning of baseball and has no interest in the sport. And I recognize that very mm-hmm. early. And rather than being that parent who forced him to play and forced him to do things like that, I, I didn't do that. And I think it's paid some real strong dividends because he was able to find his own path. And he was able to find his his different choice around athletics and, and academics. And by giving him the space to breathe, and by giving him the autonomy to make his own choices, it's allowed him to have more of a, a greater self, sense of self than if I tried to make him a mini version of myself. So that was a, a, a really kind mm-hmm. of a, a calculated decision, but I wasn't sure you know, when he was younger what dividends it would pay. And now I see that he's really got a great, strong sense of health, self, and his, his identity of who he is is much stronger than maybe some of his friends. Yeah, that's why I'm asking all you guys how, how what uh, what the experiences were, <laughs> because I also don't have a clue. We're just leapfrogging. Yeah, it's good, man. It's and I mean, it's amazing the internet and and it's especially actually EO how how I've been able to connect with all these amazing dads who are open to share and to share learnings and failures, you know, because that's really where the learnings come oh, from. Sure. And yeah, it's really really fun. But what else is there that, that needs to be discussed or needs to be shared? I'm just mindful of time. I know you have a call in like, what, 10 minutes? You know, I, I think, I think it really, it really comes down for me as, as a parent to always, and as entrepreneurs, we really, I think any parent, I shouldn't say just entrepreneurs, we, we don't show up and be, play full on and be fully present with our families. I know I didn't do that many times. And one of the, the real commitments I've made to myself and to Etta and her mother is to show up and be fully present and to be able to give them my very best in the moment. Because when I do have to, you know, when I do have to do the the work life integration and I have to take time away from them, they they know that when I come back I'm going to be fully present for them. So that for me has been a really big awareness as I've as I've matured as a as a parent to just show up fully present as often as possible because kids know 
spouses and significant others know when you're not fully there. Yeah, that's a powerful one. And I know it's true. I mean, I see it with myself. I'm so cell phone addicted. Or really, I mean, I work on the phone. So. Yeah, and it's easy to do. You know, I'm not present. It's easy to, like, oh, and you phase out. It's not good. No, so I just, I just yeah. appreciate the opportunity to, to share some of my stories with, with you and your audience today. This has been super fun. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Todd. I really do as well. And I hope I'm going to meet you here in Cape Town, even though GLC is canceled. Yeah, it would be, it'd be great to be there. Um, and I just, you know, I, I when it, last time I was in Cape Town, I, I just basically spent two days just walking around the city and I met some amazingly cool people. People were so incredibly friendly. And that I was really blown away by the unique architecture of the city and, and, and yeah, just the, the warmth of its people. All right. Thank you, Todd. Thank you so, so much. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me as a guest today. I really appreciate you. Super. Thank you so much for listening in. I really hope you liked the session. If you did, please share this podcast. I'm sure you know someone who wants to hear this. Make no mistake, your shares are meaningful and they drive our success. So thank you for sharing. Thanks for listening in. Hope to catch you next time. Have an awesome day. Ciao.